Hello and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and sufficient funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special, and powered by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. Today, I've got my dear friend Ingelise Farleng on the pod to chat about how we can advocate for our child's strengths and passions in a system that is geared toward their so-called deficits and paint a full and beautiful picture of them for the NDIS. Ingelise is from Norway and now lives in the Sutherland Shire of New South Wales with her husband and two daughters, four-year-old Lola and Maya, who is seven and has Down syndrome. Ingelise describes herself as the ultimate slashy career-wise and has worked across many industries as a writer, marketer and PR whiz. But my real passion is the not-for-profit that I set up a few years ago and it's called 21 Gifts and it's just what fuels me. It, I absolutely love the work of injecting hope and a focus on opportunities at the time of a child diagnosis and I do that with a whole range of hospitals across Australia and New Zealand. For listeners who don't know, 21 Gifts delivers beautiful little suitcases somehow crammed with 21 gifts to parents of babies who've just received a Down syndrome diagnosis. It's inspired by a Norwegian organisation that does a similar thing and delivered Ingelise and her husband a beautiful box of prezies when her daughter Maya was born. I kick off our conversation by asking Ingelise how she feels about the NDIS and the impact it's had on her family's life. We were one of the first families in Sydney uh, that got the NDIS. And I've got to say, I was absolutely thrilled uh, because it allowed us to build our own team of therapists that fit our family values and philosophy. And I just loved how it gave us the opportunity to put together a team um, around us that was all about strengths-based focus and play and a growth mindset. And we, yeah, we, we've actually loved being part of the NDIS ever since Maya was, I think she was three years old when, when we came on board. Wow, so good. I love it how our kids were clever enough to be born sort of at the around, around the time that this thing was rolling out. Like I hate to think where we would be now if we didn't have this scheme. Has it been all smooth sailing though, lovely? Like you can be honest, have there been any challenges? Because I'm yet to hear of anyone who hasn't had, you know, at least a little problem or two with the NGIS. Of course, you know, it's, the NDIS is wonderful, but it's also hard. And I think for us, the hardest part is review time. And for me, it's just been absolutely soul destroying having to sit down and provide reports that highlight everything that's wrong or difficult in our life. I just find it maddening that we have a system where that's seen as the way to go about providing support. That's the biggest challenge is we haven't had any other hiccups. It's actually just been about that mindset that's been really difficult for me. You know, the advice is always that if you want to get the funds and the supports that your child needs, you need to talk about what they can't do, what they're bad at, and never, never mention any progress or achievements, which sucks, but it's the way it is. You are an advocate of positive psychology and you're also just the most positive rainbows and sunshine, hopeful person I know in general. So how do you feel about the NDIS being deficit-based as it is? Oh, um, I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> uh, but before I go down that route, I'd like to say that I'm also actually really hopeful because I can't wait for it to change. And I think that it will, because can you even imagine if this was standard practice or even legal for any other group of humans? I just, it, it blows my mind that we're still 
doing it. Um, and an example that I always think of is just, can you imagine if a, the school sent home a report, you know, about your kids and it only listed the flaws from A to Z, it'd be an absolute uproar. Like there's no way we would ever allow that to happen for anyone else. And it doesn't even, you don't have to do that to support somebody. So I really think that, I think as maddening as it is, I do think that it will change. And I think it will change soon. I'm hoping even in the next you know, couple of years, if not earlier, because it's just, it's, it's too dumb <laughs> for the new government <laughs> to keep doing it. It's a perception problem. If people yeah. are perceived as their deficits in, you know, the scheme that is supporting them, what hope do we have for shifting this perception in society? Exactly. And then think how deeply unfair it is to our children, you know, us as parents. And it just scares me that to get support, that you have to focus on what's wrong and that you have to position your child as a problem to be fixed, you know, instead of just yes. a beautiful human that just needs a bit of help to flourish in their own way, in their own time. Maya will grow up and one day she's going to be part of these conversations. She'll actually read and hear the languishing way that's used to speak about her. And to me, that's it's soul crushing and soul destructing. And to think that there are already teens and adults out there who have to do it, it's, you know, that's, that's why I think we can't keep going like that. Uh, and when there's no real reason why a deficit-based model has to be, there's no research saying it works better. And all the research in psychology actually says the opposite. So that is why I'm hopeful. It's, it's too maddening. It's too dumb it's not logical and there's nothing that supports that that model is necessary and that is why change is going to come here and i really hope it happens fast so that our children will never have to read these reports about themselves despite being as it is now which is deficit based i know that you bring a beautiful strength-based approach to your dealings with the NGIS on behalf of Maya. Can you tell me a bit about this? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want to talk about my dad here, but I have to because it's today, it's two months since he died. Oh, and, you know, I'm a big daddy's girl, but one of the most important things that he ever said to me, and he, you know, he taught me that since I was a little girl, is that you have to do what's right and you have to stand up for what's right no matter what but that you don't have to go all mother of dragons and burn the bridges down. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you know, you could build better bridges by demonstrating and showing what's right and just do things with kindness. And I think that's what we can do with the NDIS as well. I think there are sneaky ways to bring in a bit of perspective. And the way that I do it um, is that, well, I had to, because when we first got onto the NDIS, I would sit up all night, you know, like weeks before our meetings, just crying because I just, it felt so wrong taking part in such a languishing and problems focused model. And it just felt like it was against my core values and like I didn't stand up for my the way that I wanted to. So I thought about what my dad had said and I thought, well, I can't burn the bridges down. I don't even want to, but I'm gonna introduce a strength-based approach to it like a quiet little protest that can maybe, you know, even if it doesn't have an impact beyond our family, at least it'll have a huge impact for me and for my own well-being. So I just wrote a letter to the review person showcasing Maya as a whole person. 
So I just wrote, you know, about all her beautiful strengths, who she is as a person, how she adores the wiggles and gives the best koala cuddles. And yeah, I just literally just, I just put her, the person, you know, and I say behind the diagnosis, because of course for the NDIS, you know, the diagnosis tend to come first, which is so wrong. But I just wanted the person who read this to see that this isn't a person with Down syndrome. This is Maya, you know, this is, this is my daughter, a beautiful, unique individual. And these are all her strengths and interests. And please take that into account when you think about the support that she needs, because this kid deserves everything. Oh, love. I'm so happy that you've mentioned your beautiful dad, because he's obviously had a lot to do with making you the incredible positive person that you are. And I love that you put this you know, glowing cover letter into <laughs> Maya's um, plan reviews. It sounds like sort of the antithesis to the carer impact statement that we're encouraged to do where we have to sort of moan and groan about how our child's disability impacts every part of our life and their life. I think it's about, I think because it is about presenting the whole picture. So it's not about denying that Maya has challenges or anything, but what I, I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but I do say in this letter that when, you know, on the next couple of pages, you're going to see reports about all the things that Maya can't do. And it's true. She can't do these things. And she has all these challenges. But beyond that, she is also an incredible human being that brings so much joy into our lives. And she's the gift of my life. So the reason we need this support is because we want her to thrive, you know, as herself. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just being real and daring to be real. Uh, and all the reports that follow, as we know, <laughs> they have the bullet points of all the things that these kids have to achieve and, and have to work on. So I don't think that a cover, like a cover letter showcasing the child as a real person is ever going to take anything away from them. And, and yeah. in our, yeah, and in our, um, for our family, it really hasn't. We've even had a couple of caseworkers who have followed up with us for years, just sending emails like if, if they've seen a good article about, you know, inclusion in school or whatever, they will send it to us. And I think they've done that because they got, you know, they didn't meet Maya, but they got, they got a letter with pictures of her and they, you know, they know a little bit more about who she is as a person. And maybe that made an impact and they felt, you know, we really want to help this kid. That is beautiful. And it is such a good point about the photos. I remember once we had to reschedule a planning meeting because Arla was in hospital and I sent our beautiful planner a picture of him as he always, he looks amazing in hospital because he loves it. He loves all his nurse friends and what, you know, we just have a very cute little boy. And I sent a picture of him. And from that point on, she, our planner just seemed so much more invested in Arlo and just the one picture I sent from hospital just seemed to you know really have quite a bit of impact and I think it's the same as the cover letter it just paints a more you know a whole picture of our child and yeah it obviously makes a huge difference have you had a response from people working with the NDIS in the NDIA to your cover letter which we're now calling it the cover letter <laughs> have you had any response to that Yes, I have. They've all, every single person that we've spoken to have said that that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that with them. And thank you for, for painting, you know, like the full picture. And, and some of them have called out how, you know, for them, it's really hard because they are sitting in, they, you know, we're all human beings. We like to help other people. We don't like to see lists 
of challenges that just puts people in a corner and paints them as a problem to be fixed. So I think, yeah, we've, we've just had beautiful feedback. Do you have any other advice for parents around how they can adopt a strengths-based approach when dealing with the NDIS and perhaps when, you know, dealing with the disability space in general for their child? As a parent, and I know because I've been there and I've done it and sometimes I still do, is that when we're dealing with the NDIS, we're constantly reminded about the things that our kids can't do. So it's easy to feel like the NDIS is the enemy, but they're not, you know, and I think that's something that's so important to remember because the NDIS is there for us and the potential is freaking fantastic. So in our dealings with it, it's more about, it's up to us as well to decide where we put our attention. You know, let's not put our attention to the things that we can't fix right now, which are those endless lists of, <laughs> of challenges and, and, and deficit-based models, but we can put our attention to the fact that we are getting the support we hopefully need through the NDIS. And if we can't, then we will fight for it, of course. Thank you to Ingalise for this lovely chat and be sure to check out her kindness project, 21 Gifts. You'll find a link to this in the show notes. A big thanks also to Hira for supporting me in making this podcast. And thank you for tuning in. I'll catch you again soon on NDIS Know How.